I'm joined by Oriada Ayodele. She's a young Nigerian woman who works for the Luxembourg Health Board and has one more year of nurse training to complete. She's been in Luxembourg since 2014. She is a dear friend. Ayo, can you just describe your life growing up in Nigeria? I actually grew up in a village in, uh, in the western part of Nigeria, Ondo State. I came from a polygamous home and you know growing up in a polygamous home it's it's just something else you don't really want. You don't have the opportunity to go to school, um, you have a lot of siblings, your father has two wives. Growing up in a polygamous household, she had many siblings and when resources were short, being a girl was a disadvantage. The male child has uh, actually given the opportunity more to go to school than the female child. To ease the pressure on her family, she was sent to live with an uncle who had promised to send her to school. And how old were you then? I was 12. I had no chance to go to school. I had to move from my parents' house to live with a uncle. So my life wasn't really, really perfect. For a girl child, it's not really conducive because at the end of the day, they get pregnant. They just just live their life like it's normal, but which is really not normal. I left my parents to, to go to my uncle in another town and the purpose was actually to go to school, which I didn't. So I was more like, like a maid. I did my primary school, but I didn't finish my secondary education. I really, really want a good life. I really, really want to go to school. I've always dreamt of being a nurse, even while I was a kid. I really, really, really want something good, but I was living with my uncle, like living as a maid while I was there. In the morning before I go to school, I had to firstly go and and sell things. Like you have to put the things in your head, you have to hawk in the street. That was in the morning before I get to go to school. And when I come back from school, I have to do the same thing. But I, I knew I was a very good, good student. I was really doing well in my education then. I went through a lot while I was actually living with him. While living with him, that was where I was raped. I felt really devastated and that was just where I, I lost it all. It was at night, the wife actually sent me on an errand and she asked me to go get her some things. It was late, but I, there was no way I could refuse. There was no way I could actually refuse her. And I went and on my way back, that was when I was raped, was, a gun was actually pointed on my head. Even telling them when you get home, what happened to you? So I just couldn't say anything when I got home because they were never going to believe me. So I, I kept it to myself. When her parents separated, her uncle took her back to the village and left her there. My mother took me. It was just in a very small room and with my sisters and my brothers. Ayo explains there were too many children and too few resources. She waited for her turn to go to school. But there was no way she could cater for everyone. There was no way she could send everyone to school. Mm. So she said, OK, we're going to take one person at a time. Who is going first? So my elder sister was already in the polytechnic or in the, in a higher college. Mm-hmm. And okay, maybe if she finishes, then um, the next person could go. But but it, it never got my turn. Her dream of studying to become a nurse was still alive. And when she had the opportunity to stay with a family friend, in African terms, an aunt, in Lagos, she thought that could be her opportunity to continue her education. And I said, okay, why not? It was in Lagos this time around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I went to Lagos, big city. So they had to pick me up and um, I was living with her. 
just like a maid as well, mm-hmm. you know, and thinking I was just going to raise some money to go back to school. And then I was there, and she has this friend who, who usually come around. I think um, she lives in Greece. On this faithful day, I was just going on, a, on an errand, so she was coming to the house. And she knows me very well. How are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? And we just got interacting. She's like, wouldn't you like to actually leave the country? So I'm like, outside Nigeria, you know? And I'm like, well, that would be like a great opportunity to get out, you know? She gave me a number so we could make a call and everything. This Nigerian woman who lived in Europe was very friendly and spoke to Ayo and told her that a better life awaited her there. She promised to help. She had connections. Through her, Ayo got the paperwork she needed to leave Nigeria. She looks more sophisticated. She looks good. She looks like she could actually take care of me, you know. And with the promises she gave to me, like, you'll be fine, I promise. It's a country where you have the opportunity to do whatever you want to do. Mm. And I have a business. You can always come and assist me over there. And okay, why not? And I was so, I was so happy. I was so glad. And I'm okay. I was, all, I was always looking forward to when I was going to leave, you know. Once she gave me this idea, then I started thinking, oh, I'm just going to leave the country, mm-hmm. going to leave, okay. And then I phoned my mother to explain everything to her. She was excited. As a mother, she would. Like, okay, finally, she's going to be the one to liberate my family, you know. So she was actually excited for you? She was excited for me, but she never knew what I was going to go through. Nobody knew. But it it was a woman from Nigeria who basically groomed you as a young girl to to go to Greece. Yeah, she well I say she actually groomed me. I was I wouldn't say that because with everything I went through along the way, I think I actually groomed myself. I didn't grow up with my parents. I grew up myself. I was grooming myself, and then I started looking for many jobs, doing a lot of things in the streets, you know? So I was just constantly looking for the next opportunity, just something that would just take me out of this penury. This is just going to be a good opportunity for me, you know? She has people I'm to reach out to when I want to get my visa, when I'm leaving, who is going to pick me. And she just basically has a contact, you know. So I was reaching out to her. She was telling me, okay, no problem. We're going to have to make a passport, but it's going to cost a lot of money. Do you think your parents can actually help you? I told my mom, my mom, okay, I could actually borrow it if this is really going to work out. So my mother had to do a lot of things to just raise some money for me. So I was constantly in touch with her. And she was putting me through the offices I needed to go, someone I needed to meet up, and I wasn't actually the only person. Still a teenager at this point, she flew to Turkey. Everything has been arranged. I don't have to worry. The person has my name, the person has my photo, so he already knew I was coming, the time and everything. On arrival at the airport in Turkey, someone did meet her. She was taken to a house, and her passport was taken from her. And we went to his house. And getting to his house, I met other girls, you know. We're like eight in the house. And it's just like a marketplace, you know. People go in, they come, they go. The house was busy. Slowly, another picture of this new reality started to develop for Ayo. When I arrived there, there were also two guys, and I saw the girls. Like, what's happening? So. 
I had to really open up. I had to speak to the girls. I had to really know what's happening, you know. You know, everybody has got this different idea of why they came abroad, you know, why they, they left their country. And they started telling me, oh, my boss is going to pay to pick me up from here. My boss is going to pay. So I was like, I don't have a boss, but I have this auntie who is helping me. Oh, she's also your boss. Okay, I don't see her as my boss, you know. I see her as my sister, my auntie. I'm like, okay, well, we're just there. And then the guy we were living in his house, this was what he told me, rather, that he has to sleep with me. That was the procedure. He told me that I, sh I could ask the other girls and he also abused me then that was when I started getting the idea that it's something else but it was too late because my passport had already been taken away from me he told me already that he is in contact with uh, my my boss and I'm like okay that she's going to send in some money and with this money I'm going to have to transport myself to Greece eventually money did arrive and Io was taken on a journey. He gave me a telephone, a very small telephone, and he gave me a SIM card and the numbers I have to call. So I had to go to this city. So the guy was already waiting for me at the bus station as well. So he picked me up and took me to a hotel and said I should wait. The road is not free yet. So I was there. I was not with anything. I was just I was having nothing. Mm -hmm. I was still trying to figure out. But I was still excited in a way that I'm leaving, that I'm going to go out of the country. Uh, I'm going to a better place where I'm going to... It, it was a journey that I was just looking forward to. It was a closed van, and in there I was the only black girl, and there were a lot of people, children, men, women. There were just a lot of people in the van. In this closed van, they took us to another house and there were really a lot of people. And they just select a number of people who they're going to take for that day. And at night, they took us back into the van and they drove for, for a few kilometers and then they stopped. They asked everyone to get out of the van and start running towards the, the shore of the sea. So I was following others like every other person. I was running, you know. And we got to the bank of the water. It's, uh, there was a balloon waiting, so it has to be pumped. It was just a, a small boat. They crossed the sea to Greece. I, I don't know how to swim, so they, just, they, they, they lifted me inside. It's just the sea, I was just looking, it has no beginning, it has no end. So I didn't know how long I was going to be on top of the water. I landed in Lesbos. And while we walked in the street, I think the neighbors already called the police. So they came to pick us in a van to the immigration center where there were thousands of people. I was there for a few, about four weeks or six weeks thereabout, maybe longer than that. I had the number of the person I was going to see. So I had a telephone number, I had just this number. And when we were there, after the, the whole procedure of the immigrations and everything, they gave us a ticket to go. And then we took the big ship to Athens. So while I was in the ship, I phoned. She was given instructions and continued on to Athens. There she was taken into a house, again, 
busy with young women. She was informed by the other girls that they all owed a debt of 50,000 euros. At night, I saw them getting dressed to go to work. Okay. And they were like, okay, we have to walk, we'll see you in the morning. I'm like, okay. So when I ask her exactly why I'm here, and then she explained to me, uh, you're here and this is what you're going to be doing and you have to pay me 50,000 euros. Now, at the point, I, I actually thought 50,000 euros was just a small money, you know. And then um, that was when the, the whole struggle started. There were also guys, there were also guys like these guys that just, they're, they're more like the one monitoring us, watching over us. I was new in the country. I knew no one. Okay, I have to survive in a way. I don't know anybody here. I'm new. I don't even speak Greek. I don't even have a means of identification, you know. The girls worked the streets of Athens as prostitutes and money was logged and collected from them. Without a passport or any form of identification, I was forced to join them. I was abused several times on the street. At a point, I had someone pointed a gun on my head. I was with a client while I was with him. He pointed a gun on my head and told me, you know, I could actually kill you right here and nobody's going to ask me anything. I actually thought I was going to die. It was like, you know, I'm a mafia. I could actually kill you and nothing. Nobody's going to find out I did it. And you're just going to be gone. And I'm like, okay, what do you want? So the money I worked for that night, it took everything, molested me. I was on the street for quite a while. I was on the street for quite a while, yeah. Until um, I got arrested. Yeah. I was arrested. I was in the immigration detention for six months. The auntie from Lagos, who was in fact her madam, sent a lawyer. The lawyer told me never to sign any document from the police, from the immigration centre, that she is actually working everything to get me out. So mm -hmm. I listened, I obeyed, I never signed any papers. I was taken from one place to another but I never signed any documents and then he actually did his magic and he got me out. How old were you at this point? In my my teens. Eighteen yeah, I was quite young, yeah. I went back to her. I went back to her and this time she said, Okay, you're not gonna be on the street but you're gonna be working. Um you're gonna be working in a bar. It's just the same thing. Eventually it was a client as Ayo called him, who saw something in Ayo and asked her why she was living this life. He agreed to help her. I just felt it was more like my guardian angel, you know. He was kind of interested in me, like, you're a very smart girl, why are you doing this, you know. And every time he comes, I was just his, his favourite, you know. He, mm. he never wanted to go with someone else, so he was always with me. And eventually it doesn't do anything. It just give me the money so you don't have to do anything with anybody, you know. Mm -hmm. You just um, give this because I know you. I know how it works. I know you have to pay, you know. Mm -hmm. I was able to explain a lot of things to him. Like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I want to leave. I want to leave. Yeah, he actually helped me leave. He helped me to escape. You have people watching over you. 
and everybody kind of know everybody you know so it wasn't really easy so it was more like I'm going home with my client and I'm not gonna come back until the next day and I couldn't take anything with me because I don't want her to have this notion that I'm escaping so the man who helped Ayo took her to Thessaloniki and gave her money for her onward journey Ayo now knew where to look and who to ask for and eventually found traffickers who would take her out of Greece. I could already find my way around. I was already in Greece for a while, you know. So I met with other people who wanted to leave Greece as well and we got these traffickers who helped us through this uh, Macedonia, who helped us through Serbia, yeah, Hungary and yeah. I asked why Luxembourg. In fact, Luxembourg was not a destination she had in mind. She had never heard of the place. No, it's a closed van. You never know where you're going. You know, you just tell him, I, I have this idea. I want to go to Belgium because there I know there are a lot of black people I could easily, you know, settle in. Never, I've never heard about Luxembourg. The van dropped me in a tank station, you know, find your way around. It was in 2014, September, and I asked questions around, and they actually put me in the bus and to Luxembourg City here. I got to Luxembourg City, I was asking, I really needed to go to the immigration. So I was just sitting right there in front of the office. I was trying to talk to the security, and then he gave me the address of Don Bosco. It was late. I was just going to and fro, and I was just going up, down until I saw other immigrants, you know, were coming home for the night. So when I got there, I gave them the paper, explained the situation to them, and they said, okay, we're gonna give you a room to sleep for tonight, but tomorrow morning you have to go back to the immigration center to explain to them. Mm -hmm. They have to give us authorization to keep you. Like, okay, so they gave me a toothbrush, they gave me different things, so they gave me a room, I was in a Ayo describes the help she received here. I think they transferred my case mm -hmm. to the police judiciaire mm -hmm. yeah. and I got help from I got a lot of assistant socials you know I had help from Femme de Tresse and um, the first lady I made was Madame Jewel who came to see me and she said she got my uh, she got a file from the police judiciaire because they work together with people who are victims of human trafficking yeah Somehow, as life became less traumatic and more normalised as a refugee here, Ayo had a chance to reflect on what she'd been through. And when I actually thought that things were getting better for me, then I fell into depression. The memory of the past came knocking in. I was, I was judging myself. I was just feeling so terrible, feeling so bad about everything that had happened. And then I was having trouble sleeping at night so I had to, I had to be on drugs for a lot of, for, for a long time for more than two years I was on medications to sleep I was seeing a psychiatrist because I had this thought of suicide you know seeing a psychologist I was seeing a, psych a psychiatrist and um, I was on medication for a long time I've had a lot of help in Luxembourg and I'm still having lots of help in Luxembourg Luxembourg helped me in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways that I cannot even um, explain, you know. Um, 
this um, association, uh, Femme en Détresse, they were just there at every step of the way. But I just really wanted to do something, so I joined in a lot of activities. Then uh, I was also introduced to Marian Dovin. Um, then she was just starting the Ahariko here, and we started it together with the graffiti. I just needed to go somewhere, somewhere to liberate my mind, you know. So I was more like the first member. That was actually what helped me. I avoided places that would actually help me. Like, many times I was passing through the bridge and I'm like, what if I jump down, who's gonna care? I don't really exist anyway, so nobody cares, you know? But then I tried to avoid those places. Music was more like a therapy to me then. So I joined this band, the Gronda Club Band, and I was singing, I was joining them in different, um, different activities. I was going to Hariko and everything, and then I, got in contact with Kami Keja and Mila Trausch and um, for a project. Someone introduced me to them and that was when we started the Home Sweet Home Choir. And I met a lot of people there. And I met a wonderful woman who has been in my life for years. And um, she's more like a mother to me, uh, Mariette. She has a younger sister also. So these are basically my little family here. I went for an interview. My Luxembourgish family were there. They were waiting outside from the interview. <laughs> I was just like a baby, you know. They were just waiting, waiting to hear how did the interview. They couldn't wait for me to even get home. So they were right in the hospital with me, waiting, how did it go, how did it go? Okay, it went well. I already, I was in the school already. When I, when I hear people talking about their school life, I have nothing to really talk about. Those were one of those were the things that really motivated me to really want to go back to school at any chance. If I have any chance at all, I really want to go back to school. I want to have as as much degrees as I can have anything. I don't care about the age. I don't care about anything. I just want to. I really wanted to learn. I really wanted to do things. I want to. I want to be useful to the society. Yeah, now I'm working at the hospital. As a nurse, I have one more year to do it. Aya's desire for an education and that dream to become a nurse, a deep faith and the help of a number of good people have kept her moving forward in Luxembourg. But the journey has not been easy. Doubts continue to plague her. I just feel I was vulnerable, yeah, and I gave in to the pressure. I would have said no. But I still say I wasn't a baby. Yes, I never knew what I was getting into. I still find it so difficult to, to, to really let go. It's, I know it's in the past, but you know, sometimes you cannot, you can't forget about the past if you really have to move on. It's part of me, there's my story to tell. This is actually going to be my first interview with my name and everything, you know. And um, it's, I want people to know that human trafficking exists. It's still going on and it's not going to stop. People 
are vulnerable and that's because we don't have a good system back home. I could actually bet my life on it that if you go to Nigeria today and said, I wanted to come abroad, they're gonna jump on it without thinking about anything else. They're not gonna even think about it twice. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you so much. According to a recent UN report, the most common form of human sexual trafficking, 79%, is sexual exploitation. The victims of sexual exploitation are predominantly women and girls. Surprisingly, in 30% of the countries which provided information on the gender of trafficking, women made up the largest proportion of traffickers. In some parts of the world, women trafficking women is the norm.